Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, First Baptist Hanford. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here uh, at FBH, and we're just excited that you're, you're joining us online. One of the things that you, you unfortunately are going to miss by joining us online and not in person this week is we get the opportunity to baptize 13 people uh, today on Sunday. Um, and so uh, we're incredibly excited about that. We won't have a video of those baptisms, but uh, on our Facebook page, you'll be able to access their stories as well as some photos uh, from the morning in the next couple of days. So uh, be sure to check back for those things. Uh, but that aside, we are, we are in our last two weeks of our series through the book of Galatians. It's been an incredible series, an incredible series really for us to look at what it means to be uh, saved by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, Jesus plus nothing is the way that we've really been, been referring to it. And so we're going to open up to Galatians 6 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you have something digital, or you want to follow along the, on the screen, you can do that as well. But uh, last week we talked about the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And it was an opportunity for us to look at how we were kind of living in sync with God, living in sync and staying in lockstep uh, with the Spirit. But this week we actually get to see how Paul makes a shift away from what is true and shifts toward how we accomplish what is true, how we accomplish the things that Paul is actually asking the Galatian church to do. So it's kind of like in baseball or softball or uh, pinata hitting or really any type of opportunity that you have uh, to be able to, to swing something with both hands. Uh, a good baseball player knows that when you go up to hit, most of your weight needs to be on your back foot, right? So when you're up there, the majority of the weight is on the back foot and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting for the pitch to come and as the pitch comes he's looking to check to kind of see the speed of the ball he's looking to check to see the spin of the ball he's looking to see where the location of the ball is going to be um, as he is up there um, and, and, and professional athletes have to do this professional baseball players have to do this hundreds and hundreds of times a year with a pitcher who can throw upwards of 100 miles an hour and is 60 feet 6 inches away. Actually, if you look at the science of how difficult it is to hit a major league fastball, it's incredibly, incredibly fascinating. Uh, But the professional hitter, a professional athlete, will only have 150 milliseconds to decide whether or not he is going to swing the bat in order to connect with the ball. So for reference... The amount of time it takes to blink is about 400 milliseconds. So I know most of you at home just blinked to see how long 400 milliseconds was. But but that's 400 milliseconds. So it takes almost three times longer for the average person to blink than it takes for a batter to decide to swing at a pitch or not. Okay, so incredibly fast. But after the batter decides to swing, he has to take all of that weight that he has on his back foot and shift it forward in order to make solid contact with the ball. He has to step. He has to turn his hips. He has to keep keep his hands inside the ball. He has to pivot his back foot around and follow through on the swing all within milliseconds of each other. But if you want to put power behind the ball, none of those things matter unless you start with your weight on your back foot, which is what Paul has done here in the letter to the Galatians. Paul has started off 
by securely making sure that all of their weight was grounded in truth on their back foot. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And Paul finally gets to the last piece of his letter in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. And all of that truth that he has talked about with the Galatian church, all of that doctrine that he has walked through with the Galatian church has rooted their weight firmly on their back foot. And now what we're going to see is Paul showing them how to swing away and teaching them how to practically apply the truth that it is that he has taught them over the course of this entire letter. And so now that Paul has established truth, He's shifting the weight of the argument from is it true to how do you make this work? How does this actually get applied into our life? And that's where the beauty of the gospel lies. See, not only is the gospel true, but God works salvation out in the lives of everyone who believes. So not only is the gospel true, but the gospel actually works as well. It's not just some false claim that we come up with randomly to make ourselves feel better. So not only is the gospel true, the gospel works. So Paul in this argument today is swinging the bat and showing them how it is they need to move forward in their faith that requires zero legalism from them. And that is what Paul was saying to to the good church in Galatia. He was saying to them, you aren't good enough, but Jesus loves you anyway. It's the same message we can take away as well. That you aren't good enough, but Jesus loves you anyway. Because I think at some point, all of us have kind of been in that place. Right? A place where we don't think we are good enough. Where we believe that in order to be better loved, whether by an individual or by God, that ultimately we need to be better. Ultimately we have to do better things. Maybe it's a marriage that you're in. Right? And you feel like you are just dropping the ball all over the place again and again and again. And the patience and love that your spouse is showing you isn't deserved. So because of that, you need to be better in order to be loved more. Or maybe you're a parent who is completely over the distance learning thing. And because of your frustration with distance learning, you're like, you know what? I'm going to blow up on my kid right now. You hopefully didn't think that to yourself. But your frustration then boils over towards your kids, towards your attitude at home, towards your spouse, whatever it may be. And you think to yourself, ah, I'm just, I'm dropping, I have to be better in order to get more love. Or maybe you're an employee whose boss has given you grace upon grace upon grace and you need to be better. And to be fair, in all of those situations, it may be true. You simply may just need to be Better as an individual, as a spouse, as a parent, as a teacher, as an employee, whatever. You need to be better. But when we try to apply that same situation to God, we are then attributing something to him that he has never said nor will ever require. You do not have to be better to be loved more by Jesus. Period. Jesus plus nothing. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's get to the, to the text. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. That's where we're going to start. It says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. 
Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load themselves. Paul is readily admitting to all of the Galatians here that people will have sin issues in their lives. Paul's not saying, hey, look, Jesus plus nothing and everything's going to be fine and dandy. Everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, people are going to get trapped in sin. It's going to happen. They're going to have sin issues in their lives. They will fall short of walking in step with the Spirit. So he's saying, if someone is caught up, he's not saying like, someone is, aha, I caught you. That's not what he's asking the believers to do. If someone is caught up, more like the idea of being entangled in sin. So if someone is caught up in sin, those of you who are walking in the Spirit, we talked about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit last week. You can go back and listen to that message if you would like. But for those of you who are walking in the Spirit, need to do your best to restore that person. And not, not restore that person, you know, like a jerk, but gently, softly, lovingly. But be careful or else you'll be tempted as well. So as you are restoring that person, continue to be careful as well. This doesn't say ignore the problem, right? This doesn't say don't confront the person. Okay, this says when their sin is an issue, when they are tangled up in their sin, lovingly restore that person. Gently restore that person. The way uh, Mark Driscoll phrased it, um, is that when that we in the Christian church should be burden lifters, not burden givers. We should be burden lifters, not burden givers. And, and, and I think Paul was actually using very specific language here when he was talking through verses 1 through 5. Because being a burden giver is the requirement of religion. Being a burden giver is the requirement of somebody who has to follow the law. The very thing that Paul is saying, hey, don't do that. The requirement of having to be good before coming to Jesus is a burden giver. The burden of having to do all the things in the Old Testament law in order to gain salvation is a burden giver. It burdens you with a heavy load that ultimately is not going to get you salvation with Christ because you have a Jesus plus something mindset which is not healthy and it is not biblical. To be a burden lifter though, to be a burden lifter is the people of God reminding others of a relationship with Christ. Jesus actually tells, his people, tells, tells people to give him their burdens. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, let me be a burden lifter. And as an extension of Christ, the body of Christ, believers should also be burden lifters. See, burden givers, they tend to, to not carry their own load, but oftentimes force it on to someone else. It's like the, the person that always needs your help. Like regardless of what the situation is, they always are going to come to you for help. The person who always needs a ride because their car is always broken down. The person who is always asking others to take on their responsibilities. Those people are burden givers. And that's what the teachers in Galatia were actually doing to the believers. They're saying, hey, 
yeah, Jesus came to save us all, but also you have to do all of these things. You have to follow the Old Testament law. You have to become Jewish in order to gain salvation through Christ. That's giving of a burden. Those people are burden givers. I'm sure we all know some of those people who always want to shove their responsibilities onto you or other people. Maybe they're in your workplace. Maybe they're in your home. Maybe it's your toddler child who always, for some reason, needs you personally to open their wrapper for them. I don't know. But they're burden givers, right? But our goal should be to bear the burdens of those around us since many hands do indeed tend to make light work. We want to help other people, not force more upon them. We want to be burden lifters. That should be our goal. But let's keep moving. Galatians 6.6 6 says this. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I just want to take a second here. Uh, this seems a little bit kind of out of context, and I, don't, I wouldn't normally do this. Um, but this passage specifically is talking about the idea of teachers within the local church. Right? That nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word, it's talking about pastors, teachers, that sort of thing, should share all good things um, with their instructor. Okay? This is talking about, honestly, this is one of the verses that's talking about the idea that pastors should actually, like people who attend those churches and that sort of thing should help offset the cost of pastoral living, um, should pay their pastors um, so they can dedicate the entirety of their lives towards the church and that sort of thing. Um, and so I just want to take a second here where Paul is indeed talking about pastors and teachers of Scripture to just let you all know that I'm thankful for you as a church. Hey, I'm thankful for you um, as our people. I'm thankful for the last two years here and hopefully a whole lot more. Um, I'm thankful that you've trusted me, that even in the midst of a pandemic, a very difficult season, not just for all of your lives personally, my life as well, um, but also a difficult season in the life of a church where it seems like the bullseye, the field goal, whatever you want to call it, is consistently moving, that you've trusted us in our leadership. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's not a responsibility I take lightly at all. Um, and I also want to say thank you for continuing to be so gracious uh, to my family and I as well. You know, we want to continue to see FBH grow. Um, grow the kingdom of God with the message of Christ through serving, through small groups, through your oikos connections. Uh, I, I, I hope you want to see us continue to move forward in that direction as well. So, sorry, that was an aside. He's talking specifically about pastors and people caring for them and that sort of thing. So, just wanted to say thank you. We'll keep moving. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's a common phrase that get, gets thrown around, you reap what you sow, and a lot of people don't actually recognize it. Hey, that's a very biblical phrase. Paul uses it here. But if you want to feed your sinful desires... Guess what's going to come of that? Sinful desires. Because you reap what you sow. If you want to feed your relationship with the Spirit, you need to put into practice those things that will enable your relationship with the Spirit. We talked about the spiritual disciplines last week. 
So how is it that you grow in the spirit? Well, you put good things in your body. You talk about Bible, Bible study. You talk about um, prayer. You talk about uh, prayer and, and petition. Obviously, you talk about rest. You talk about all those different things that we talked about um, last week. That is how you reap. And so you sow then the fruit of the spirit, which is what we ultimately landed on. But I do want to take a second about the idea that we not only reap what we sow, but we reap where we sow. We reap where we sow as well. So the question then becomes, where are you investing right now? Where are you investing your life right now? Are you investing yourself in the lives of those who are most important to you? And not just into their lives, but are you investing, are you sowing good things into their life, your family, your friends, making sure they have the opportunity to come to a saving relationship with Christ Jesus? Are you having those conversations with your oikos? Is that where you're sowing your oikos, obviously I mentioned that earlier, those 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed into your life for you to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Are you sowing good news with them? Are you sowing there? Or is most of your sowing, maybe your sowing's at work. Maybe that's where a lot of your sowing is. Maybe you want to advance that career of yours so you can make it to six figures or a better retirement or whatever it is. Maybe once you get the next promotion, you can slow down and spend more time with your family. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's how you can donate for yourselves. Because I think a lot of times we're sowing in the wrong place. Not just the wrong things that Paul is talking about feeding our sinful desires and that sort of thing, but also I think where you sow can be sinful as well. We're sowing in the wrong place and we don't even realize it. It's never one big decision, right? It's never one big decision where we say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and begin to put my time and my effort mostly into my work so I can then ignore my family or ignore the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump in with both feet at work and stop going to church and stop spending time with my family and stop investing in being the spiritual leader in in their lives because I want a promotion. No one ever says that. At least most normal people uh, would never say that. I think it's about a bunch of small rationaliz- rationalizations that we make over time. A bunch of small things over and over and over again. That rather than thinking how we are going to please God, we think about how it is that we are going to get that raise. I, hey, you know what? Today, it's just one day. I need to pull. I, I'm going to be at the office for like 14 hours probably because there's, I, I need to stay ahead of this guy at work when it comes to this promotion. So I need to spend a little bit more time there. Sounds good. But what happens when that 14-hour day becomes consistent and then you are consistently sacrificing those six extra hours away from your family who needs a spiritual leader in their home? Where are you sowing? Because you reap what it is you sow. If we don't sow in healthy things, the Spirit, and if we don't sow in healthy locations, our family and our oikos, Our harvest is going to be a disaster. It's going to be a nightmare. And then we tend to turn around and our life seems to be in shambles. And then we ask God, God, how did I get here? How did this end up happening? It's rarely one massive cataclysmic event. It's usually a slow creep towards sowing unhealthy things in unhealthy locations. 
So Paul is saying, hey, sow healthy things. Sow in the Spirit. But because of all this, verse 10 actually reminds us that even amid all of these dangers, it says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is a reminder to everyone that being a Christian, walking in the Spirit, means that it isn't just about you. You came to a saving faith in Christ. Great. That's the beginning. Now we as Christians, we as the church, get an opportunity to serve other people. It's about the other people in our lives that we are supposed to serve. It's about those people who are outside of the family of God. What care and concern do we have for those who are not yet followers of Christ? Is your walk as such that people are willing to listen to what it is that you have to say? Or can they not hear Jesus? Can they not hear about Jesus over your own opinions? Oftentimes political in this season. Can they hear about Jesus from you? Being a Christian, walking in the spirit, it isn't about you. It's about the other people in our lives who maybe are already a part of the family of God. It even says that in verse 10, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's not one or the other. It's not only people who are not a part of the family of God. And it's not only people who are a part of the family of God. It's a both and. Can I just be honest for a second when it comes to the second part, second part especially to those who belong to the family of believers? that I think the structural organization of Western churches have allowed Christians to become kind of lazy in what is expected of us. And we become, we become lazy. There seems to be an expectation that if something needs to be done as a part of the church, I'm not talking about our church in particular, I'm talking about Western Christianity churches, capital C church, that if something needs to be done, we have a paid staff member who should take care of it. Or we should have a paid staff member to take care of it. We either do or we should. Now I'm saying this is a good or a bad philosophy either way. I think things obviously need to get taken care of. Right? I think that we all have responsibilities. I think it makes it easier to have more members of our staff and that sort of thing. Um, but when we as believers stop taking care of other believers because there is an assumption that someone else gets paid to do it, we are failing at what it looks like to care for other people as Christians. It would be like refusing to fix a leak even though you were capable of fixing that leak. You said, you know what? No, well, we could pay, we could pay a plumber to do that. All the while, the leak is continuing in your home. You're perfectly capable of fixing it but I'm going to wait until I can pay someone or until we're going to pay someone to be able to come and fix that leak. And the plumber, honestly, would probably do a pretty good job. But my guess is, is that you could probably do a pretty decent one as well. And on top of that, it's our responsibility to the family of believers to do so before there's long-term damage. Church, being a Christian means you get to care more deeply about others than you do yourself. Why? Because you care more deeply about Jesus than you do yourself. 
And that is where Paul is taking things in the last chapter of the book of Galatians. So even though there are times that maybe you don't feel like you're good enough or you don't feel like you measure up or, or, or whatever it may be, that, that you need to live your life differently, you need to be better, Paul is telling the church not only is that not true in order to inherit eternal life, but you also have the responsibility of telling others that that's not true as well. That it's Jesus plus nothing and it's your responsibility as the church to share that. That's what Paul is saying here. You get the opportunity to come to Christ as you are with all the damage, with all the baggage and sin and he takes it all from you. Says go and sin no more and also you're a part of my family. Go find more people to be a part of our family because it's pretty great. That's what Paul is telling the Galatian church here. That's what he is, he is doing his best to convey, convey Jesus' words back to them and through them us. Go help carry burdens for people. Go sow healthy things so healthy things can be reaped. Go care for the needs of people who are both a part of the family and who aren't a part of the family of God. We have this truth of what salvation is. Now swing hard and shift that weight to the practical side of things. You know what truth is. The problem isn't that you don't know enough things. The problem is as a church that we have failed to swing. And instead we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And before we know it, the ball is past us. We've got to swing. We've got to swing and shift our weight towards the practical side of things, towards moving the gospel forward, towards actually doing things. In short, we need to love God, we need to love people, and we need to serve the world. And I think that as a church, we have an obligation to that. Not just because it's our vision statement, but because it is what Christ commanded us to do. And it's what Paul was reminding the church in Galatia to do as well. And church, there are, there are people in the world right now that you know who are hurting from pandemics to politics. Who are hurting. The world feels totally and utterly hopeless at times. Jobs lost. Bills going unpaid. Unrest in the streets. Church, it is our responsibility to stand up and be the church to a world who desperately needs its burdens lifted. What burdens are you going to help lighten this week? Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the practical side of things. Thank you for Paul front-loading everything on truth, truth, truth. This is the doctrine, this is the doctrine, this is the doctrine and then teaching the Galatian church how to swing away. God, I pray we would swing away as well. I pray that we would shift our weight from knowledge to action. Now that we have more access to knowledge than <laughs> any other people group on the face in the entirety of our history. And so, God, I pray that we would just simply put into place the things that we're supposed to do since we already know about them. God, I pray that we would be burden lifters, that we would be able to recognize that our Christianity 
following you is not about us. That it's actually about dying to ourselves so we can follow you. And then being able to tell other people about what it's like to be in your family. God, I just pray if there's people following along right now who maybe aren't a part of your family yet, say, hey, I want to leave my baggage. I want to leave my sin. I want to leave it, and I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, just pray along with me. Say, Father, hey, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I've got baggage. That I'm a sinful person. Every single day, I fall short. So God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But Father, I also believe that you sent your son to die for me. That he conquered death. That he hung on a cross and rose three days later, conquering death for me. I believe he did that and see that I would choose to follow him every single day. God, that we would choose to swing away. We would choose to both continue to pursue his truth, but shift our weight forward and swing away, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.